25 years ago, there was a monumental stone sculpture laying outside this building on the ground out here. It was disassembled in 12 pieces. And as an art student, I looked at this grid of pieces and examined it. I saw various chiseled textures that reminded me of my ancient art history lessons. The dove of the spirit and rays of light emerged from a cloud at the top and simple overlapping shapes at the bottom formed a distant city below. When it was installed vertically on the wall outside this wall, the puzzle pieces made sense, and I realized that the, the design puts us face to face with Jesus in the sky. The viewer is imagined to be high above the waiting disciples somewhere below. That relief sculpture was designed by young professor William Bukowski, sculpted by local artist Tom Miller, and donated by Mankato Stone in memory of the business owner's parents. With time, my appreciation grows for this artwork, not only in its intentional elements of design, but also in its constant presence. The Bethany campus is blessed with a heritage of religious artworks, and those artworks have just begun to do their long work. That exterior relief, the large triptych by William Bukowski on the wall behind me, the painting of the resurrected Jesus in the narthex behind you by a student graduate Jonathan Mayer, the creation fresco by William Bukowski in Meyer Hall, and various historically themed paintings at the seminary, they all tell a story of what we believe. These silent sermons have been preaching for years, and God willing, they will profess the beliefs of the ELS and the Bethany faith community to future generations. Today I'm asked to talk about the significance of religious art, and Pastor Molstead asked me uh, to present and this, this project is just coming to completion, and I thought the timing is uh, significant. And so <clears throat> I bring this project in to explain to you uh, some of the thoughts behind it before it's delivered to its home in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. When you're looking at an artwork, you can put on different lenses, so to speak. You can look for different things. And so I'll walk us through this artwork with different lenses on. The first thing we'll look at is material. I'll talk about what it's made of and how it was made. Then I'll go into the form, the design decisions about how, how it's laid out, and then we'll talk about the meanings that we find in it. And so we're starting very broad and generally, gradually moving into specifics. First, materials and processes. As you entered the chapel, there was a table with some artifacts of the process. This is a bronze and gold leaf sculpture that's mounted to uh, a wooden and canvas binding. And it contains a copy of the Evangelical Heritage Version, the EHV version, which was translated by sort of a grassroots effort between Wells ELS pastors, teachers, professors, and laypeople. The, uh, the process of bronze sometimes makes people's eyes glaze over because it's long and complicated. Essentially, it starts out as a sculptable clay form uh, that looks the same, the same shape as you see here. 
And then through a series of mold making, uh, it passes through stages of a flexible mold, a wax copy of the original, another fireproof mold. The wax is burned out of the fireproof mold, and hot molten metal, like lava, is poured into that mold. That mold is then broken off, and the bronze is released, cleaned, and given a patina. Patina is a chemical reaction with the copper content in the bronze, and so in this case, you see a dark color. I won't get into the chemistry of that, but um, the dark color was chosen intentionally because I knew that gold leaf would be applied later. And the bright colors that you see are 23 karat gold leaf applied to the surface. So it's a very thin coat of gold. And then a wax is applied over the whole thing for a protective finish. Okay, so that's materials and process. We switch lenses now. The format, why does it look the way it does? Uh, you'll notice pointed arches, and as I talk about this, I know this is far for you to see, but you have a printout, uh, and those of you watching through a screen, um, you should be able to see visualizations up close. So you'll note pointed arches, and that's a reference to uh, late Gothic architecture. And in my mind, uh, a high point of Christian creatives, the cathedral project, um, many creatives coming together to make uh, a stunning work of art that can be walked into and that survives for hundreds going on thousands of years. Um, the pointed arches, therefore, refer to, refer to that very Christian feeling format. But also, besides the, the Gothic format, think about this as a spreadsheet. A spreadsheet has integration across horizontal rows and vertical columns. And I'll explain the integration in symbolism uh, as we walk through the, uh, the narrative here. So, walking through that narrative, I'll start on what is the back cover. So back cover, spine, and front cover. And on your printout, that will simply move from left to right. On the back cover, the top three sections form a trinity. On the top left, we see God the Father represented as potter's hands, creating us, creating the world, forming uh, with his decision-making. In the center, we see God the Son represented as an unborn child, as a, a baby in the womb. And this refers to the incarnation, the way that the Word was made flesh and chose to dwell among us, and we've all been there. That's God with us. On the far right, we see an ambiguous shape that could be dove, could be fire. Both vague uh, descriptions of this elusive person of the Trinity. So the top three form a theme, a Trinity. But as you move down the columns, I'll start on the left, we have God the Father right above a representation of wheat and grapes. The wheat and grapes can tell us many things. It's intended to tell us about the Lord's Supper, and this is the first in our Means of Grace series on the back cover. And so wheat and grapes are sort of the raw elements. It's what God's creation gives us that we then use as the Lord's Supper. 
And far below that, at the bottom of all of these sections, are scripture passages that will sort of tie together that vertical column. And so on the far left, we read, every perfect gift is from above. And that connects us with our uh, physical and our spiritual blessings from God the Father. Moving to the center, under the person of Jesus, there's a scroll, and now we're in the section of the Word. And so we're talking about Word and Sacraments in these three centerpieces. The scroll tells us about the Word. It's a symbol that stands in for the Word in its most uh, maybe ancient, recognizable form. And between the image of Jesus and the scroll, we have the Alpha and the Omega, and this is one of Jesus' famous I am statements, I am the Alpha and the Omega, which is a language kind of statement. He's talking about the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet. He is the beginning and the end. It talks about his eternal nature. It also talks about him as the word that we see represented as a scroll below and as a human above. And down below, it says the word became flesh and vertigo kind of effect. 
Because that's, that's the action that Jesus took from his throne to earth. Moving to the right, I'll come back to some of this. Moving to the right, we see Jesus on the cross representing his death. So we have birth, death, and to the right again, his resurrection and encapsulated in that, his ascension, implied as the ascension. Note the vertical movement. And so from left to right, the image of Jesus is clearly visible in gold and it gradually ascends. Back to uh, the far left side. Um, if we look at the top, we start to see announcements or prophecies that are fulfilled in these top three arches. So on the far left, an angel announces to lowly shepherds, and the star announces Jesus' presence to Magi from afar. And maybe mysteriously, there's a, a box of tools uh, above the manger, and that's a reference to vocation. That's a reference to Jesus growing up and learning a trade with his father. It's a reference to the good of work. Down below the manger, uh, a palm branch begins to make its way from the manger and crosses over the architectural boundary and moves from this sort of sweet image of Christmas to a horrifying image of uh, crucifixion. It, it moves from the manger to Golgotha and really in, in this uh, very concise enactment of Jesus' life, that, that's all that I have to stand in for his ministry. It's Palm Sunday. It's also about praise, the way that we praise uh, Jesus. So, reading below, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Moving to the center panel, um, the crucifixion is is sort of packed full of uh, symbolism here. Some things that may or may not be obvious. For example, the way the clouds are shaped. The clouds are shaped in a way that presses down. They swell down and imply a kind of a pressure. Sometimes we see this with uh, severe weather. We see a, a tornado. We, when we see the clouds sort of dipping down into bowls and turning green, it's time to get in the basement. This is a bad moment. Um, the lightning violently bridges heaven and earth, just as Jesus does in this moment. Uh, if you look closely, you see under the cross, Golgotha, represented, the hillside has this vague shape of a skull. And a portion of uh, the crown of thorns, a broken crown of thorns, kind of encircles the, uh, the skull, and again, crosses over the architectural boundary, moving us from the crucifixion to the victorious resurrection. Up above, a reference to the first prophecy, the first prophecy of the salvation, um, and the serpent is about to have a bad passage uh, has to be God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. An obvious choice there. And on the far right, victory. 
We see as we ascended Jesus and note how the clouds change. So the clouds, we had a precedent before, and now they're, they're turned inside out. They reach upward, they open up to accept Jesus, and vaguely they make a crown shape. And so Jesus is victorious in this moment. Um, the large uh, Easter lily also sort of trumpets and, and uh, the creation rejoices. Up above, uh, we see sort of a, a dual image. We see a tree that has been damaged severely, chopped down, a glory that is no longer, and yet a shoot comes out. This is, this is uh, the stump of Jesse prophesied by Isaiah. And an important message for, for anyone uh, wrestling with a sinful world that God provides hope. And at the bottom, uh, simply stated, death is swallowed up in victory. There's more, but we don't have all the time in the world. Um, I will note the openings across the top. There's a vague color gradient or a gentle color gradient moving from a dark red on the far left, gradually moving to sort of a light stain. And on the far left, this deep red uh, is intended to kind of uh, reference Old Testament sacrifice, the price of sin, the seriousness of sin, the law, what the law requires. But as we move to the far right, you can be reminded of spilled wine. You can be reminded of the Lord's Supper and the comfort that that brings, the way that Jesus gives himself as that sacrifice for that seriousness of the law. And so in a vague, kind of undercurrent way, law and gospel is represented in a gradient of color. That's probably enough. If anybody has uh, questions afterward, we can talk more about this. And you're certainly welcome to come up and look at this. This will go to Wisconsin this weekend. It's maybe a few last chance to examine it if you um, As I think about uh, what, what I started with, I talked about this sculpture that's outside. I talked about some of the artworks that are hanging around the campus. Um, time marches on. Many of my professors, when I was a student, have retired, moved away, some have passed away. Things change. But I'm struck by how an artwork brings us together, especially a Christian artwork among a Christian faith community. Um, those professors, my classmates, and, and people since then up until now, contemplate these artworks, spend time with them, and by examining religious artwork on campus, today's Bethany community participates in a conversation with people they may never meet this side of heaven. Artwork operates in a similar way as our creeds, like music, our liturgies. They create an invisible community that link people together through time and space. May God generously grant his people creative gifts and provide his invisible church with visible sins. <laughs>